Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. This episode, Paul Williams and Matt Everett join me to talk about the Demon reissue of the Montrose Avenue's debut album, 30 Days Out. Really good fun this episode. Um, Paul and Matt talk about the recording and the writing of the album and stories from their time in Japan, getting signed. I mean, it's packed with anecdotes. A few technical gremlins here and there, which I've edited best possible, so I hope you can forgive me for those. Also, listen out for the Diwali fireworks going on in the background. Before we hit the interview, just a quick reminder of all the ways you can support the podcast. All the social media links are in the show notes. And if you want to buy me a virtual coffee to support financially, you could do that. Uh, And that link is in the show notes too. And lastly, if you haven't written a review or left a rating, if you could do that as well, that would be fantastic. Anyway, that's it for The Waffle. Here's Paul and Matt. Welcome to the podcast, Paul Williams and Matt Everett. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Nice <laughs> speech. You're glad we can make this happen. <laughs> uh, you're both um, hot off the yeah. Tim's listening party. Yeah, furiously tweeting whilst trying to remember what we did 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's a really great idea, I think. And, you know, I, I looked back at some of the other ones. I was really chuffed that we got to do it the day after uh, Skid Row. Uh, <laughs> which me of... of the time when I ended up in a in a hot tub with Sebastian back in Japan. No way. It's not as sort of <laughs> as it sounds. But um, he, uh, I, I was, was basically, I was sat in sat in a hot tub in the in the hotel in Japan, just like outside next to the pool. And I saw this guy come over, this like tall guy with like really long hair. I thought he looked like a roadie, and he had like two Japanese girls, like one under each arm, came over and sort of went, "Hey, buddy, do you mind if I get in with you?" And I was like, okay, go on. And I noticed the other uh, youth come well tattoo on his arm. I was like, I think you're probably quite lucky you didn't pick up something really horrible from sharing a hot tub with yeah. him. I mean, <laughs> Man, I've got no, I can't start with a story that good. That was brilliant. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've kind of used up my best story in the first 30 seconds. It's been really nice to, to sort of do the reissue because everyone's been sort of chatting to each other on sort of email again, sort of, um, sort of reconnecting, which has been, which has been lovely. So, yeah, the sort of listening party is that there's very small pockets of Montrose fans, but they do seem to care a lot. There's not a lot of them, but the ones that do kind of remember yeah. it really, really fondly. So that was that was really nice to hear people. A lot of people going, why haven't you released the B-sides? And all that. <laughs> so, okay, cool. <laughs> B-sides and, and rarities. Well, we, yeah, did, we did kind of sort of um and ah about doing that, didn't we? The, uh, like actually putting some... Yeah tracks on the album and it just just didn't wasn't able to happen for some reason yeah I, I think I think some of it was to do with the fact that with with the vinyl because obviously we were I think it was organized just ahead of like vinyl becoming enormously difficult to get hold of and there being this huge kind of stockpile yeah. of people wanting to get their records pressed so we kind of we snuck in a little bit but yeah but as for the sort of quadrifold eight disc version like yeah that was never on the cards unfortunately it's a shame there was because there's a um the, i think the version of the song yesterday's return the one that we all prefer was mm. by michael john kelly who i think produced for like the beautiful south and stuff like that and that version of the song was in our opinion sort of infinitely better than the one that ended up in the album and then when we did when we toured the album we kept on playing the old version <laughs> kind of not realizing <laughs> that like people would have heard the album and gone, why are you playing a completely different version? It didn't even like occur to us to to play that version. 
but so it would have been nice to put that on there. I, I've still I've got it on my hard drive somewhere. I've kind of taken it off cassette and put it onto hard drive. So it would be nice to get that out there. We can do that. How much involvement did you get in the whole process and uh, the artwork and everything else? They did some stuff with me before for a different band, and they sort of proposed the idea. I was like, "Yeah, this will be, this will be great." I'm, I'm sure I'll speak to the other guys. And as like, but I, I, what I'm going to propose to them is everyone because we hated the cover. <laughs> hate, like I, we had the story behind this is the original cover before the cover that was released. We had a guy called Callie Callaman, who's a phenomenal graphic designer and artist and illustrator and like does covers or did covers for Scott Walker and like incredible people and did stuff with the KLF and stuff. He's like a real visionary, like a really amazing guy. And we worked with him for ages on this cover. And Paul, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm completely yeah, wrong. All right, yeah. And he was great. I mean, and he saw us as a bit like the band. I was like, okay, this is, and we were all like, yeah, they're great, the band, this is, this is exactly what we're going to go for. And shot this series of photos in a really old, beautiful, ornate theatre. And we were like, this is great. This feels really textual and interesting. And he did some of the early sleeves and we were like, of the singles, we're like, this, this sounds great. Brilliant. And then it came to sort of signing off on the cover. And we were in Japan when the artwork had to be signed off. And we're like, well, we, we can't sign it off without seeing it. We've got to see the cover. They're like, well, and this was before the internet was a widely acceptable form of communication. And all someone sent us was like a crappy colour fax of what <laughs> Callie had sent over. And we were like, this looks shit. Like, we can't, we can't. And they were like, you got to, now you've got to decide. Is this a cover or not? Because we're running out of time. We're like, well, I mean, looking at this flimsy bit of A4 with this terrible colour fax, it's like, no, I don't think this is the cover. And so we didn't go with it. Did you ever see the actual final? I never saw it. I never no, saw I, kind of actual vision ever. I've got a so to the to the they, we took some like picture, pictures in that that theater, yeah. which if I'm not mistaken was the theater in like an old asylum or something somewhere like yeah. out in outside of London. Which I've I've tried to Google it, like you know, theater inside an asylum to figure out where it was, but <laughs> really creepy. But it doesn't come up weirdly enough. Um, and the, the idea was that we were going to take the pictures, and then he was going to sort of superimpose us dressed up. Like if I'm not like a little bit like kind of civil war, um, yeah. American civil war thing is like you know like kind of that I don't really describe it, but it's that kind of you know American civil war outfit stuff, which is just ludicrous. It's like beyond Spinal Tap, um, and, and I don't even know if we ever did that photo shoot. I think it was just they sort of mocked up the yeah. the thing without us in it, and because I, I do actually have a copy of that, the sort of the the, the album promo, which is just the logo inside the. You're the right. The, the, yeah. the, um, the theatre and it looks a little bit kind of Narnia-ish but not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think I think we got to the point where we hadn't done the photos but we're just like no nah, I think we should go somewhere so the, so the rest of the sleeve is all Cali but then the album cover is that god-awful picture that I have had to live with for 25 years of me oh. chewing my chewing my fingernail because I was so bored at the end of a photo shoot I was doing that and and they were like, oh, let's put it on the album. And then we all just went, eh. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah. So, yes, this is all coming back. And so I said, well, one thing I know that I'd really like to do is, do we have to do the same cover? And Demon were like, no. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's go back. And there was, I'd had, when we when we went to the States for the, we went to New York and went to the Montrose Avenue in New York, which was quite a pokey area at the time. So we were discussing the other day, Paul. And yeah. someone took a bunch of photos of us. The photos of us weren't particularly great. 
put one picture of this sign. I remember it floating around a little bit and I was thinking, oh, that's that's really good. That's that looks strong, that looks brilliant, and then doing nothing about it. And well, then now it's like, yeah, well, the album had come out by that point. So it had already been released, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It God, was, God. We were in New York in October and the album came out like beginning of October. So that's that's oh. why we could So we kind of found the best album cover after it already come out. <laughs> And then Yay. there was talk of like reissuing it. And I don't know if you remember, we, we, we came with this other cover that was like some found image of this guy doing that wheel of death thing on a motorbike. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And like, so, so that this out, and then it said the Japanese version of the album cover. So this album has now had four different album covers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, it was really nice when I emailed everyone going, hi, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, sure. Sounds really good fun. What do you think to this cover? Can we change it? And everybody was like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to the album uh, again. It zips along beautifully, doesn't it? I mean, it's like pretty much every track's a single. Oh, For thanks, me, man. it feels like you've got everything there. It's very, it's broad. It's got, you know, it's brass and strings. The harmonies are obviously what you guys were, you know, well known for. And it was obviously something that was quite fresh at the time. I mean, what would I mean? How do you both feel? I know you both are obviously very proud of it, and so you should be because it's it's a great listen. But what what are your feelings on it with all that time passing and and obviously the the luck involved in in the whole process of the band success and what you gauge as success? Yeah, I mean, for me, like it's it's actually a weird one because I always thought that the album wasn't what I thought we were capable of. If that makes sense, I think mm. we we were I think we were better live than we were on record I remember listening to the mini disc of the album on the way on the, on the flight to Japan and just being like oh man this doesn't sound great and I think what actually what the demon reissues has done is it's really kind of the mastering they've done in it is, is brilliant it, it really has kind of made it sound a bit beefier for want of a better word it say it sounds you know it sounds a bit more chunky like it, it doesn't I, I thought it sounded a bit thin when I first heard it. I, I, I think we maybe didn't find the best way of recording it as well. We kind of went through all these different studios and producers. And for me, I think there's still the best kind of method of, like, I've, I've kind of gone into production myself now and realized that a lot of production isn't just the, te- the technical stuff and, you know, EQing and all that kind of stuff. It's actually finding the right environment for the band to work in. And for me, the songs that were the, the best recorded are the ones that we just did in the, the smaller studio with um, Ian and Nick, the guys who did the KLF stuff. We did the first EP in their studio and, and because it was so small, we couldn't play live, which is always our, our thing was like, we want to record everything live, you know, in one take. But actually when we layered things up and like, you know, Matt and Jimmy did the bass and drums first, and then we all went and did our stuff. I think that that's probably the closest to what I think we sounded like live. Matt, you may no, 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 no. I think I, I, I think you're right. Big studios. It's sort of I, I, I do, I do like a lot of elements of the album, and, and listening back to it, there's certain things that I maybe wasn't that fond of at the time that have become become more fond of. I haven't listened to it for a very long time, but I was really, really surprised at how good the remaster sounded. I think they've done a, you know, an amazing job. Good job. Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, for me, it's. It was always, you know, I was, I was the drummer, and I remember getting the first kind of cassette demo of the band before I joined just thinking these vocals are amazing mm. they're just brilliant and that thing that it always used to really freak me out that like not only did you know it was almost like oh you can't have three singers we've got three singers you can't have three lead singers no we've got three lead singers <laughs> any one of these people could be a lead singer and they kind of all were 
and that was like for marketing and it was a bit difficult then like, who's the front line like, there isn't there three singers and then hearing how each of the voices really fit together that's the thing that i love more about anything with the record is how those voices complement each other in a really 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 special way and how easy it looked for you to do it you wouldn't know this paul because you were just in rehearsals doing it the three of you'd be like I go, well, what if we did the chorus like this? Ah, ah, and I'd be like, fucking hell, they've just done it. <laughs> and I know that's because for years before I joined, you were learning how to do that. But yeah. it, was, it, it was quite a thing to witness. You listen to like 30 Days or Helplessly Hoping, you're like, fucking hell, man. No fucker can sing like that. No, there's no one, no one doing harmonies like that at all. You know, that's the thing for me about the record. I think. How did you hone that then, Paul, in the early days? So it, did, it sort of started off as me and Scott were in the band in in school in Wokingham, um, suburb of Reading, nice place. And we we were like really into like even when we before we kind of got into like you know more sixties music like West Coast stuff like the Birds. We were listening to bands like Alice in Chains that had really strong harmonies, you know, like a lot yeah. of the stuff that wasn't you, you know, just had those kind of those harmonies. Rob kind of came along. We we decided we needed a third person to sing the, the bits that were a bit too high for us to sing. Um, and a lot of it was just, kind of, <laughs> did a lot of acoustic stuff. I always think, you know, when you're trying to figure out harmonies, acoustic stuff is, you know, like kind of figuring it out on an acoustic guitar and then bringing it into the studio. But there were a lot of moments like, you know, that, that bit in Spinal Tap when they were Elvis's grave and they're trying to figure out the harmonies of, of Hound Dog. There were a lot of moments like that. Where you're just like, me, me, me. You know, like, it's, my, it's my baby, left me. It's my baby. <laughs> dwell, 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 dwell. <laughs> That's such a yeah. good scene. There's a lot, a lot of that. But I don't know. You do, I think I, do, you just, I've, I've, I mean, personally, always found it really easy to harmonize longer things you know i can i can sit there singing along to like check your head by the beastie boys and harmonize something i've always been able to do and me and scott were never wanted to be singers we we kind of we were singers by default just because we couldn't find anyone else to do it which in scott's you know regard i think yeah he's actually become a well you know it, in much seventy became a really great great singer um and it's kind of weird to think that neither of us really wanted to do it deciding where you were going to go in terms of the band and the local following and stuff how i mean like, how quickly did you start to get like um a local following in, in did it all start in wokingham and berkshire or were you just sort of already starting to tour uh, or did you already have like columbia or, or labels sort of interested so <laughs> it's really weird so we didn't we didn't really have that much of a sort of local following. We just kind of had this stupid self-belief that we were, you know, when you're you're 17 and you're convinced that you are the best band in the world. Um, and so we, we we would like to spend all of our money going into the studio. So we were, you know, like signing on like most bands are when they're 18. And you'd get your doll check and just go in and record like another hour's worth of overdubs or harmonies. And we just go in and do that. And that's how that sort of cassette demo was made. And then we decided to just put on our own gig at the Eversley Village Hall. So that was like one of our first gigs. And I don't know how, but someone from that label that was a subsidiary of Rough Trade, Blanco y Negro, I think, Dinosaur oh, Genius. Yeah, that rings um, they, they saw us and just were like, oh, you guys are pretty good. And then we just kind of started getting you know gigs in London, sort of playing like the Falcon and places like that. And just there was this... I don't even know how it happened, but just a bit of a, a buzz happened. And that was when we still had the drummer before Matt, um, 
who looked like he was, you know, he looked a bit like um, Peter Tork in The Monkeys. He looked fucking cool. <laughs> he looked really looked fucking a lot cooler than me. I've got to say <laughs> that, man. He looked cool than all of us. Like he was just, he, he was kind of, cool, yeah. you know, it's like to be, to be a drummer in a, in a professional band, you've got to, you know, put your, put your hours in. You've got to, you know, get your, your top to the speed. And he would, he'd play a fill and come out a beat early or something or a beat late, you know, so we'd all have to kind of, get used to playing these these choruses where there'd be an extra beat on the end and you we kind of like figured it out you'd be like okay so this bar we've just done a bit of like 17 8 or something in that, in that one bar but that, but then we're like the, the, the label like look you guys are great but um you, you know you need to kind of get a better drummer and, and unfortunately they couldn't so. <laughs> <laughs> um, gave him a bit of like a sort of you know look you need to kind of quit your job and, and be able to rehearse every day and he was like no I can't so I can't remember how who hooked us up with you I'm guessing Fran it might have been Sony yeah we were all kind of getting you know sort of having Sony talk to us yeah. and I think someone just kind of went look I know Matt's just Matt's free now you guys up for it and I think they sort of sent you over to our little studio in Wokingham yeah and, and I had I had a phone conversation with I think it was you and Scott. It could have been, yeah, it could be you and Scott. And it was like, what are you listening to? And I said, the Beach Boys. And Scott was like, all right. Yeah. Come on. That was, it was literally, had I said any other band, you probably would have said, no, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that was probably, that was probably it. And then, yeah, like, like just, just came along and just thought, yeah, it was just great. Well, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think there was a little bit of, like reticence because of because of your, your previous band that we won't mention. Um, <laughs> it's like saying it's like a previous conviction because he was arrested for murder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually remember. Which you know, I don't, I totally remember get. Being on the phone to you, and I was like sat there, like kind of listening to the conversation. And then he hung up, and he was like, "Yeah, he sounds like a really nice guy, actually." And we we're like, oh, "Okay, well, let, you know, let's see how he is." And, and then you we came and you played the first song, and we we're like, "Okay, actually, this this does sound really good." Oh, so I, I, I worked hard on that one, man. But so, <laughs> so it, like, kind of, it speaks, you know, kind of it's, it's credit to you the fact that we you know got you in despite not initially being <laughs> up for the idea. I think. Fucking, I, don't, I like, I don't, I don't blame you. Like to this to this day, people are like, you know, I I I think, you know, Menzo might have done quote unquote better. But Montrose was the band. Like that was that was that was that was the band that I'm most proud of. More than it, more than yeah, absolutely, more than any other band before us. Since that's well, the we one were talking I, um, when you that's the when, one, man. when you were on the uh, podcast before, Matt, you were talking about menswear, uh, the mm-hmm. band that shall not be named. Um, you, you you said to me um, you talked about Montrose Avenue and you just saw how proud you were of the recording. Yeah, and and the, and the moment when. The Benz, or was it OK Computer? One of the two came out, and you, you know, something struck you, and it was a moment like, ah, right, this is music. This is music, and I think was it something that was that around the same time as you were doing the Montrose Avenue, and just thinking this is proper. Well, there, know, there was ticking boxes for me. There was that when you're in it, like a band, and and obviously things kind of can go all over the shop in a band, but like, but when you start, there's that lovely bit when you're all like, we're all sleeping on floors, we're all crashing in each other's shit flats, whatever. I used to remember. We used to run an Tesco or an Asda um, in your flat pool. Like we knew the supermarket would be closing in half an hour, so we'd run around and get all the cheap food we could because we were all fucking skin. Yeah. And you go back and like, oh, we've got creamed, creamed sweet corn for dinner tonight because that's, <laughs> that's the only thing that was cheap. And that really bonds you together. And then that happens musically. So I remember being like a little bit not off music, but like, as well, like for whatever fun it was, it wasn't musically really great. And then like. 
there's this bunch of guys going, Ben Foss 5, first album. I was like, I've heard of them. No, this record, listen to this record. And they're like, fucking hell, this is great. And like, then all of a sudden you're like, you know, someone's chucking me, Jason Faulkner. Listen to that, you're like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden there was this this wave of music that, you know, that I didn't find it difficult to like. It was just, of course I love this. This is brilliant. And they were, for me, it felt really wonderful to be immersed in something because it existed before me. Mm. you know and getting this wave was like i knew crosby stills and nash i wasn't that familiar with like all this amazing music that wasn't the obvious stuff and all of a sudden it was kind of around all the time and it was mm. brilliant I, I i was really 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 pleased to be part of it yeah so and yeah like me and you know the reason why me and scott ended up in a band is because we just were completely obsessed with music mm. So the band like just went discovering all these you know really random bands like you know like the left bank and all that you know those oh, bands yeah that's with and then we just we kind of did music as a you know because of that and there was we we didn't like have social lives we <laughs> kind of girlfriends or friends you know I, I was thinking like I think I I didn't really have like a, a sort of teenage social life I just stayed at home playing the guitar and you know me and Scott talked about music a lot you know it was it was, it was that kind of thing which made I'm watching it, the Ken- I'm watching the Kentucky Fried movie. Yeah, <laughs> I remember like the being being around at your flat, and when we you were like we we're completely skinned, like you said, because before it was all me and Scott would just live off these things called like pasta and sauce, which is like kind of like a sort of broccoli and cheese thing that you just. Oh, had. I love that shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally about eighteen p. <laughs> <laughs> and then Matt Matt showed me how to make how to make those like packet noodles actually nice it was like no you 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 got to take out all the water then put the flavoring sauce in afterwards like the powder in afterwards. I was like, oh my god, this is actually, you know, this is yeah, because they were like forty six p a packet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the game, pushing the boat out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, and sort of when it happened, I did get a long Twitter thing about it. Throw, but like, yeah, what is that moment? When it's all, it all kind of happens. And this first, I remember we did. I think the first gig might have been a battle of the bands. Am I right? The first gig that I played. And it was like, let's let's obviously they go. Let's see if he's see if he can play. And I'm going like, fuck, I hope this is all right. There's like a little sort of battle of the bands, and bless all the other bands in that bill, bless them, but they didn't stand a fucking chance. I felt really <laughs> bad for them. I was like, oh god, these guys are already going to sing, and I've played some gigs, so you're going to get. And we came second. They went. Do you remember? We didn't even fucking win it. Well, no, no, I thought I thought we did win it, but we, we it. they, but we sort of just said like we kind of graciously went. Look, to be fair, like we we're kind of about oh. Sony. Do you, do you can you just like give it to the next band? What a nice guy! Well, that's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> even worse. Than... <laughs> hey, we're fucking great, you guys. Aren't it? Is it a bit, is it like a school of rock moment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved all that. It, it, it makes it sound like you know we it, it's being big headed this was like it was Farnborough a Farnborough battle of the bands it wasn't like you know, like sort of wasn't London you know it was it was small small, small fry low hanging fruit I think is what the term even worse though oh dear so the cult following in Japan it says cult following on the on the on the Wikipedia bio so I'm, I'm assuming that's true the <laughs> so, bio is, there's some drastically <laughs> wrong things in it um like just I, I can't remember what they are now, but there's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, misinformation. But hang on, hang on a second. <laughs> He's riven up my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, yeah, the the cult following thing, mate. That that's probably fair enough. But 
there were yeah there's there i can't really it is there but there are some there are definitely some things like well that's not right but it reminded me there's a there's a story that someone told me where mike scott of the water boys went into check to change some of his wikipedia entries because they were wrong and someone kept changing them back because they were like well where, where, where are your citations you're my citations i'm i'm fucking mike scott Do you know <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, um it's me you know, I am the person who, who lived it. We're like, no. So he, because he didn't have these citations, they they wouldn't let him change it. So I think I'm not going to get into an argument with someone who who's updating our Wikipedia page. It's like life's too short for that. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was it like Japan was was it was really really good. It was really good. Like we 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 did some did our biggest uh, sort of outdoor show there, which was great. That was a really nice. That was a really nice day. And yeah, yeah. They got it. They kept on. There was singles that came out in Japan that didn't come out in the UK, yeah. and they really liked it. It was it was definitely a place. It's a cliche, though, isn't it? Oh, big in Japan, but there was yeah, yeah. It's fine it was, yeah. But it was it was not everyone's big in Japan. The weird the weird thing it was just it was like I always call it. It was like a bit like going to like a rock star holiday camp. You know, you'd sort of, you'd leave England where, you know, you'd just be like walking around budging and trying to find 46p noodles. And then the next day, you know, I remember we got to the plane and the, the person at Passport Control asked me to sign something. And I was like, what, what, what do you need? What do I need to like sign a form or something? And she went, no, 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 like autograph. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. And then, you know, every morning you wake up in your hotel and there's like people throwing t-shirts at you and stuff. And we, the weirdest one was when we got to, the liquid room in in uh, in Shinjuku, yeah. and kind of turned to the tour manager and went, "Oh, we're just going to pop out and get some get some food." He's like, "No, you can't do that." And I was like, "Why not?" And he went, "Look out the window," and you look out the window, and it's like hard day's night. You know, there's like just <laughs> two thousand people in the street, and they had to they had to get us out with a police escort. They had to shut the road down, and actually, like you know, and it's weird because we're like taking photos of all these people, that are, like you know, taking photos of us because it's so weird, and then. You go back to Britain, and it's like okay. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, oh, yeah. In life, so it's, it was weird. It's really weird. There was a sort of bigger thing. It's like the the Montrose story wasn't supposed to stop with just that one album. There was the the story hadn't finished. It wasn't supposed to finish there. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why it did. But there was you know, and going back to um, Japan and doing more of those places and capitalizing on that enthusiasm. And like taking all the things that Paul was saying about learning about production and doing songs differently, and like getting to grips with with what we wanted to do, all those things were going to happen. But then, like all sorts of like wily e. coyote, all these things just came and dropped on us like giant weights from cliffs, and you know, false uh, train tunnels. It just, it's yeah, it just all coincided lots and lots of mistakes at the same time from lots of people involved and that was the end of the story and it shouldn't have been there was more to do and japan just makes me think about how lovely everybody was that we worked with they were a fantastic team and they did really well and we had some amazing gigs and it was like yeah we should have it should have been an opportunity to go back and do more of that mm. which is a shame did Definitely. you carry on writing then paul were you already still sort of preparing for more recordings yeah so we we pretty much demoed almost the whole album um mm-hmm. some of it there's some really good stuff in there, actually. I mean, I, I've I've kind of I've managed to salvage some of the tracks. You know, we we were me, me and Scott were doing the demos on this um, digital Akai recorder, like a sort of twelve track recorder, just you know, sticking like two mics on the drums and and doing stuff that way in, in Sony's rehearsal room. Um, but there's some uh, that's kind of how we always like to record anyway. You know, a lot of our 
first demos were done on like cassette eight tracks you know it was and it, i think i really like recording in that way i think it makes you a bit more creative um so there's some really cool stuff that you know hasn't hasn't come out it was definitely a bit second album me like there's there was some you know, some uh you know jazz odysseys going on i think for, yeah. There was some, yeah, there's some bangers in there as well. Um, I think, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a shame it didn't happen really. Are you tempted to do anything with it? What with the songs or yeah, with, yeah, or with the band with, doing with the songs? Which oh, one? Well, oh, both. <laughs> Can we get a bunch of kids that look just like we 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 did <laughs> when we were like 23 and like get them to record it? Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, I was thinking, you know, you were slightly. Would you say you were out of time and like a band out of time because in the early noughties or what? you had the thrills and you had the kooks and it's not a million miles away from the sort of the harmonies and the, and the, the transatlantic kind of sounds. Do, yeah. Do you have I mean, that feeling or not? Or am I just barking up the wrong tree? No, I, I completely agree. It was, you know, like you had before that, you know, guitar music was sort of, you know, like, it's like the biggest thing. And then after that, you know, like you said, with the thrills, who you know, basically kind of wanted to be the beach boys. That, mm. that, that did, that was a little bit annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I didn't I didn't dislike them but it was just like and you know around the time when 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 we came out the biggest bands really were you know it's like Fatboy Slim, Chemical Brothers mm. you know all that sort of stuff and it was just like it was kind of uncool to be in a guitar band really and especially one that was obsessed with west coast sort of harmony psychedelia stuff you know yeah was, I mean like, like we, I, I do cool going into uh, Columbia Records very, very early on. And Scott, one of the singers, very imposing kind of character in many ways, uh, used to wear this, like, cape, this black, like, sort of ornate sort of buckle. Like, a, which is, it was a David Crosby thing, wasn't it? David Crosby wore them, but it was basically like a sort of, you know, those old Victorian kind of bobby. Yeah, it was a police, yeah, it was a policeman thing, wasn't it? And like, and these. Yeah, like the Catch Jack the Ripper or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the right <laughs> image. And like, all of us had flares. And like, I just remember sort of swooping through the offices of Columbia, these sort of figures in this, you know, sort of mess of capes and cord and leather and tassels and just sort of like swooping in. And apparently, like, speaking to a couple of people I still know from that they were like that we were quite intimidated by like what you guys you kind of came in it was like fucking hell who's this there's a band here wearing like car hearts and like you know stuff like that and like yeah well yeah then it also yeah then then it was just like well you weren't really like not the minute things get signed things go different but like yeah sort of some of that that self-belief and that like yeah we are yeah this dude's got a cape on <laughs> how you doing uh that kind of went the way of like oh we should be thinking about midweek positions it's like ah fuck that shit yeah, yeah. So that's, that well, kind that, of happens i guess that's exactly you know i think i was talking to you about this matt with me the 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 demos that we recorded you know the ones i talked about were when me and scott just used our, our doll checks to kind of record a, record like 10 tracks over the space of a couple of years this there was some like really crazy kind of production stuff in there you know because we just didn't we weren't really thinking about that kind of stuff and then you know saying that like where do I stand which was you know the the most successful single it wasn't that kind of three and a half you know upbeat pop song it used to just kind of start really slowly and it would kind of build up to the to the the chorus only really happened at the end it was like really a bit more weird and experimental and it did you know the recordings weren't great enough to release because they you know they weren't recorded that well but but 
we, you know, I, I mean, I remember Matt at the same time, you know, talking about the, your, the okay computer moment. And I think, yeah, we were sort of listening to that on the tour bus quite a lot. And, and it was when Supergrass released, I think, was it in it for the money? Yeah. And we kind of like had this sort of moment of, oh, okay, like this is, this is really good. And we're not at that. <laughs> yeah. And we need to kind of try and be that level. So we sort of, I think what went away from what, what, you know, the, the band had always wanted to be, which was something a bit more interesting, you know, and kind of conformed a bit more, but partly because we were assigned to a major as well. You know, there was a, like, I remember literally people saying to us, you're assigned to the same label as Will Smith. Will Smith is selling like 25 million records. What the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was quite a lot of that. Would you, would you sort of float the idea of doing any more music? Uh, Paul, or, or re-releasing some old recordings, or, and putting something out again. Yeah, I mean, I think to, in all honesty, the chance of us doing any gigs is probably remote, just because of the where everyone sort of ended up. I definitely, you know, from looking at some of the responses to the, you know, the comments on the Twitter thing, the listening party seems to be, you know, some people interested in hearing the demos. You know, I, even if it's just sticking them up on Bandcamp for free or SoundCloud. Not really, you know, interested in, you know, releasing it to make money. It's just, you know, a question of if if someone wants to hear it, then, you know, even like Rob Rob was messaging me afterwards, going, "Oh man, get those demos off you," you know, saying, "Yeah, he still like things about them." So yeah, it's it, I, I would I definitely be up for doing something like that. Yeah, I like I I think that'd be a really really cool thing to do. And yeah, I think we we'd all we'd if there was a situation where you could say, "Oh, <clears throat> three o'clock." on Saturday or whatever, bunch of equipment in there. Would you all like to play music together? I think everybody would say yes. I think um, anything past that, I honestly don't know. But I think making a racket together, I'd just like to hear everybody sing again. I think that'd be pretty fucking cool, to be honest. And it's, it's, you know, like, it's a really good record. I remember a friend came out, it kind of, the record didn't do what, Columbia wanted it to do. Columbia needs it to sell a certain amount to make it like a viable thing, a viable band for them to keep investing in, which I do understand. And my friend chatting just said, Yeah, I just I played it to my mate. And they just said, Yeah, but it's it's a really good record, isn't it? It's only I mean, what was it? it? Did 34,000, which is fucking shit loads these days for a vinyl record for a you know an actual release. And just saying, oh, this is this, but this is a really good album. Why is it not been bigger? Well, because people haven't heard it. That's why it's not been a bigger record because no one's heard it. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing of all time, but like everybody that does hear it just goes, all right, that's Montrose Avenue. That's really good, isn't it? It's like, yeah, maybe that's, the more I think about it, that's what me, I personally was ex- excited about putting it there because I haven't heard anyone that's, you know, not they tell me, but listen to it gone, yeah, is that what the fuss is about? It's like, yeah, oh, okay, right. That was a Montrose Avenue record. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah, it was great. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was, it was, I almost feel like it's one of those albums a bit similar to, you know, Velvet Underground and, and Big Star, where uh, like musicians seem to like it. Chris Martin. Chris Martin. Was a big fan and stole our fucking road crew. I say stole, we stopped. <laughs> they took them on. Basically, I'm saying on the record, no Montrose, no Coldplay. Just, I'm just putting it out there. Now, Chris Martin wants to cover Where Do I Stand? Off you go, mate. You've got a lot to answer for, Matt. <laughs> yeah. The the Tim listening party thing you trying to get Harry Styles to keep on the road the other night, mate. I could do with a new kitchen. I'm just saying. Like... <laughs> I could I could just do with a kitchen. That, be... 
guys, I, I've got to say, I'll let you go. But thank you so much for joining me. This has been brilliant. I've not had to ask many questions. I've just had to sit back and, and, and let you guys chat. It's been brilliant to be part of that. So, um, Wind up and off we go. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with everything. I, and, um, yeah, I'll look forward to sort of anything that happens. And and and, uh, and, and if you if you decide to put anything out, come back and I'll have you back, both back on to chat about it. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Okay. And, Thanks, guys. Paul, I'll, I'll speak to you soon. We're booking Chips Bush Empire, right? <laughs> like next, next fair. Don't tell anyone. I keep having yeah. dreams that we like we've shown we're doing like reunion gigs, and but we haven't played the songs for like twenty years, and I'm going, do we not like rehearse a bit first? <laughs> and everyone's like, nah, I'll be fine. And I'm just like, well, I'm sure, surely we need to just do this. We need to play the songs again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks, Chris.